Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 21, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. So my name is Rick. I'm author of the just-released book, Spiritual Grit, and also a couple years ago, The Jesus-Centered Life and editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible. And today, we welcome back the infamous, the notorious, the Beckinator, who's somewhere in parts unknown right now, just entering her second month of van life. How do we describe her? She's like a vagabond. She's a she's like a hippie minstrel for Jesus. I wish that could be an acronym. You're that's what I'm going to call you. You're a hippie minstrel for Jesus. So is that what you are, though? I tell people that I'm a digital nomad. Okay, that's so, so much boring compared to hippie minstrel <laughs> for Jesus. <laughs> I feel like if I told people that, they would really be like, I mean, it's already strange. Although where I'm staying right now, this like type of life is very accepted. So to be- a- Oh, are you staying on a hippie compound? No, I mean, just in the city that I'm in in general. Oh. Like to, when I say that I'm a female solo fan lifer, like my cool factor goes up like 20 points in this town. Like, so, oh, 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 wait a second. You have to stop and explain what a van lifer is. Cause I know I get this sense from what you're posting on social media and online that this, this is a thing. Van lifers are a thing. So what is yeah. that thing? So van lifers are basically people who live out of vans. Oh, and- oh well, oh, obvious. Yeah. Yeah, so they live out of vans or they live out of like a bus. So some people convert like school buses to live out of their like raising whole families. And in this particular city, they're everywhere because in Oregon, it's actually like it's legal to live out of your vehicle. So people are van lifing it up all over this place. So, so I, ha- but- I, have to, I have to ask you though, Becky Nader, before you go further with that. So you've, you've kind of connected with van life for people. So give me a percentage uh, from one to a hundred percent of how, how many, how, what percentage of those people are actually weird people, like, oh, like legitimately oh. weird people. Um, I wouldn't say they're weird. I would say that they're definitely 20 <laughs> and <laughs> usually they're dudes and they, usually have a man bun so that's like the majority of van life so i'm they're definitely not like going and curling their hair and going to their job and like recording podcasts or anything like that they're not living like that for sure Hmm. who do we know that's like that oh (laughs) oh it's the becky nader she is so what we're learning is that the becky nader is a rebel within a rebel Yes. She's living in a rebellious uh, sort of genre, but yes. even underneath that, she's cross-cultural, cross-current underneath that. Uh-huh. Wow. How yeah, deep I don't can know, you go? I don't know if I would be accepted by the general van life community. Well, and you know, if you go one level below that, then you're also a hippie minstrel for Jesus. 
So that's <laughs> it's true. one more layer. Yes, I would say that generally people who live in vans are like not, they're a little bit more liberal. <laughs> and you say liberal with quote marks around it. Because, um, uh -huh. yeah, you could have said something probably even stronger. So throughout <laughs> the year, we're going to be checking in with the Becky Nader to explore what she's learning on this grand, ridiculous, epic adventure that she's on and how life on the road opens up facets of Jesus' heart to her that my suspicion is that those facets of Jesus' heart and the facets of relationship that Becky is experiencing are a little harder to reach in this sort of default settings of our everyday life. That going on an adventure like this opens up possibilities and leverages you as a person in a way that, that everyday life just can't. So we're going to explore Becky's story like we're anthropologists trying to understand what is it that Becky's learning or like if you watch Stranger Things um, the the show on Netflix about uh, a bunch of uh, middle school kids who learn that there's some supernatural stuff going on in their in their hometown that and they're recruited into the fight against evil in this supernatural battle on that show um, there are people that, that go behind the curtain into what's called the upside down world. And they have to, they, they have to figure out how to fight evil in this kind of uh, supernatural upside down world. So that's what the Becky Nader's doing. She's gone behind the curtain into this kind of van life world. And she's experiencing life in a way that most of us don't. So maybe you could start, uh, Becky, by just giving us a short update of, you've already kind of hinted you're in Oregon somewhere. So give us a short update of where you are and kind of briefly what you've been doing. Uh, so I've just graduated um, past my 30 day mark on the road and um, I'm in Bend, Oregon. It's really beautiful here. And basically I've fallen into a, a rhythm and a pattern as far as like just the logistical life of van life. I figured out kind of all of the ins and outs of doggy daycare, where to work, how to take showers and look like a presentable person. This is a very important part of van life. Which, by the way, I'm looking at the Becky Nader right now because we're, we're recording this uh, through an online app. And I'm looking at it right now and she does look like she's had a shower. I just yeah, want to confirm I, to everybody, she's, she's freshly showered, it looks like to me. So. I curled my hair this morning. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm like living life and... So basically, I've been through a lot of beautiful territory. I went through Moab, I went through Salt Lake City, I went through Idaho, and I've seen a lot of really, really beautiful things. I went camping in Tamala Falls um, this last weekend and like literally had my hammock spread up next to a waterfall and just like napped and read all day yesterday on Saturday there. So there's just been some real like long stretches of beautiful and relaxing, idyllic situations that kind of go along with this way of life. And you've had plenty of veterinary bills, as I understand. Yeah, yeah. Doggy daycare, <laughs> kennel cough, allergies. Rory's apparently allergic to deciduous trees. Wow, nice use of the word deciduous. So this life is kind of 
for most of us who can't imagine living this way, I don't think two years ago you could have imagined living this way. It's your circumstances conspired to kind of present this as a possibility and then the spirit kind of nudged you into this and you did a lot of preparation to do what you're doing now. Uh, you had people around you that, you know, had obvious concerns about, well, what was this going to be like for you? And you took that in and, and made, you know, care, I'd say careful preparations for how you're going to do this. But the, the, none of that really diminishes the fact that this is a flat out adventure. There's stuff mm -hmm. that you can't see around the corner. And that's true in all of our lives. But when you're doing what you're doing, the corners come faster and more often. You just can't see around even the next day in, in some cases. And I thought it would be interesting for us to, uh, we're going to do this, you know, as often as we feel like it over the course of the year as, as Becky's going on her adventure to try to kind of mine her story and what she's experiencing and make some connections to our own life with Jesus from it. And one of the things that struck me right off the bat was that she's on the road. And it's funny because in, in my life, uh, part of my life is dedicated to helping resource and train youth ministry leaders. And so I do a lot of research into what really impacts people on their, what you might call their discipleship journey. And one of those, one of the things we know in retrospect, because I've done research and, and done progressive interviews with young people who grow into college students who then grow into young adulthood, when they look back on the things that really changed their lives, when we ask what changed the trajectory of your life, it's always something that's, that's tied to a trip or when they were on the road, a mission trip, a retreat, a camp setting, something like that that involves a trip when they're on the road. It always involves something like that because there's something inherent about being on the road that introduces you to adventure, which then leverages you and opens you to growth. And what's interesting is that there, that Jesus did a lot of his teaching sort of on the road. He, he, this wasn't by accident. Um, when we're on the road somewhere or on an adventure, he gets access to our fundamental drivers, the things that drive us in life in a way that's hard to replicate any other way, really. So I thought it'd be interesting just to kick this off by um, taking a, kind of a, a skip through Matthew 8 and 9. We'll just figure out how far we want to go with this. But I, I realized that we don't often notice where Jesus is doing his teaching or instructing or what the context is. So we miss what's actually going on. And context is everything. So I thought we could just go through um, Matthew 8 and 9, um, as many of these as we want to, and, and just think about the context of where this is happening and why the context matters in these encounters. So if we start in Matthew 8, verse 1, I'll just start reading and I'll stop, and then Becky and I will talk about this. So large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who've been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. So you probably heard this little story before, but what we don't pay attention to is when did it happen and how did it happen? Well, it says that large crowds were following Jesus as he was coming down the mountainside. 
So he's traveling. It's not just a little anthill he's coming down. He's walking down a mountain. He's hiking down a mountain. And there's huge numbers of people around him following him. And suddenly, a man who's not supposed to get near anyone like this because he has leprosy without first crying out that he's a leper so people can avoid him, he kind of ambushes Jesus and kneels before him and says, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus stops in the middle of his hike down the mountain and says, I'm willing and touches him and, and he's healed. So Becky, what, uh, just, uh, we're going to skip around here. So anything that pops into your head about the context of this relative to Jesus moving down a mountain when this happens and how this might affect this story in particular, anything that pops into your head? Well, I think when you're on the road like this, you are, you're already willing, like you're already showing like that you're willing. And so when you're in a posture and a position like that, where you've already demonstrated, like I'm willing to be healed so much that I'm going to put myself in this really vulnerable place. It's like, I just think that Jesus really, he honors that he likes that he knows that you're, you've already made the sacrifice to be there and that the, the reason you're doing it is because you want to be healed. I have reflected a few times about like, what would I have done if I hadn't done this? Like, what would I be doing right now if I hadn't left and gone on this adventure? And the truth of the matter is I probably would have been really just busy with my life as usual And I wouldn't be in a place where I could just have this posture of, I need to be healed and I don't want to wait around. Like, I'm not going to even waste the time of saying, I'm unclean or, oh, I shouldn't come right now because the crowds are here. This man is just saying like, I I don't want to wait. I don't want to spend 10 years healing. I just want it to happen right now. I love what you just said because you're, you're, you're saying you're putting yourself in a posture of openness by the very act of plunging yourself into being on the road in a sense. And this man has put himself out there. He's already preparing himself to receive because he's already exercising his trust and faith in the first place because he's gotten out of his comfort zone, out of his rut into the adventure of ambushing Jesus. This second one, if we, uh, the story that happens right after this, here's an interesting context for this. Um, It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed paralyzed and in terrible pain. So that's the lead in to this familiar story. Um, But I want to stop first and just recognize what's happening here and how much this is so true about being on the road that you run into people that you never thought you'd meet. I mean, you, you, you strangers enter into your orbit all of a sudden that you have no context for, you have no past relationship with, all of a sudden you meet a new person that significantly alters uh, your trajectory. This story, by the way, is remarkable because, again, what happens here is Jesus says, yeah, I'll come and heal your servant. Let me go, go to your house. And the centurion says, no, 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 I'm not worthy for you to come in my house. I'm a man under authority. I get that. I get what authority is like. So Jesus, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, here's what, here's how he responds to him. I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And this is a pagan Roman military officer 
So this guy who he's never met before enters in and all of a sudden Jesus is bowled over by this guy's faith. So this must be true that along the way, Becky, you've met people that just sort of all of a sudden they enter your orbit and everything alters for you, at least for a while. Anything pop into your head that's like that? Well, I think that one of the things that I have been from this whole start to the journey and is that I, I have, I'm expectant. Um, and I think the Roman officer, he was expectant. He expected that Jesus was going to do what, what he asked him to do because he knew that he had the authority to do so. And I feel like in my life right now, I'm expectant. And so I'm open to anything that comes into my, to my life, whether that is a person or it's a thing that's happening. I'm expectant that whatever it is, is going to shape the next part of my life and help me go on the next journey. And I've definitely had multiple times where I've just been surprised at a time that I really needed to be surprised by people being generous or where they just kind of overly came into my life and provided things. But one of the things about being in this posture is you have to be like a little bit dependent on other people, which means that you have to ask like, hey, um, I'm not a member of this community, but I need to reach out on next door and you know, find a dog sitter. Could, could you do that for me to like perfect strangers? Or <laughs> could you recommend a mechanic because my brakes need to get changed? Or can I use your bathroom and shower in your shower? <laughs> um, <laughs> so these are really uncomfortable things to have to do that they put you in a place where you have to be dependent. And we are such an independent culture from the time like we graduate, we're almost pushed into that, like be independent, build your own life, don't have to rely on other people. And suddenly I'm in a place where I have to be dependent on other people. Like I really do need you to do this thing. And even though it might seem small, it's, it's kind of a big deal. You know, like, I don't know you, you're a stranger. Why would I let you do X, Y, or Z, you know? You know, it's interesting as you're ta talking about this, it's, you're describing really exercising a muscle, the muscle of dependency, which is central to a lively, fulfilling, powerful, impactful life with Jesus is, it's ironic that the muscle of dependency is what leads us into a life of strength. Because when you're dependent on Jesus, you grow in, in inner strength. It, it sounds funny, but our independent ways make us weak because when we are reliant upon our own strength, and this is really the message of spiritual grit, is when we're reliant on our own strength, we quickly find out that there's not much there. And so the independent way of living is really a false, is a false way of living if what you need is strength. What we really need is a dependent way of living that gives us access to strength. And even the act of dependency grows strength in you. And the other thing I was thinking about as you were talking is that this centurion and these people that you've connected with along the way, they're like fresh water flowing into a kind of a stagnant pond. You know, most of us live our lives, If I mean, this sounds terrible, but it's true. We live in kind of a stagnant pond because there's not much new coming into our life. In fact, we kind of we kind of gravitate toward the same, 
to, to kind of edit out whatever change we can because new coming in means, wow, we're a little off balance. What's going to happen now? And, mm -hmm. and Jesus has just had two encounters with two people he didn't expect to have. And uh, all of a sudden, those have stirred the waters and allowed him to do something that is still impacting us today because we read this today and we're still impacted by what he's done. So it just strikes me that the, this thing that you're on, this, this life on the road, um, actually produces many, many more opportunities for fresh water to flow into the pond. And it mixes well, stuff up. Well, being on the road, the most um, alarming thing that I learned very quickly was that it's extremely lonely. So I purposely planned, you know, I was like, okay, you can't be lonely. You're, you're Becky, you're an extrovert. You are not the kind of person that can be alone for very long. And so I booked a co-working space because the one that I was at before was really active. They had all these like, oh, we're going rock climbing tonight. We're doing this and that. And so you, you got to participate with other people and meet new people. Well, Bend is a very popular place for co-working because a lot of people commute out of Silicon Valley and live here. And so they're full. They're on like year-long waiting lists. So I took the first one that came my way and it was brand new and I'm the only person there. <laughs> <laughs> so there's nobody else at this co-working space. And so literally I go to work. I work alone all day. I do have like, you know, conference calls and different things. But the only way I was connecting with people for a few weeks was via technology. And so I was just alone all the time. And it was really kind of like grating on me. And I think that the outcome of that was that just like you said, like when you can't go anywhere else, but the well of Jesus, you have to go there all the time. And in our lives, we're made for relationships, but relationships can also be distracting. And so they can, they can provide some certain needs that we really should go to the well of Jesus for. And when you, when you have all of that eliminated and you can't go anywhere else to get filled back up, you are constantly going to the well. <laughs> and you're like, I need a little bit more just to get through today. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, what, we're, what Becky and I are going to do uh, toward the end of the episode today is we're going to make some connections into everyday life from what she's learning in non-everyday life. We're going to make some connections because uh, we're not really saying here, okay, so everyone should leave their job and go on the road and live in their van in order no. that they could experience these. Mm -hmm. We're just going to no. learn from Becky's story, like I said at the beginning, like we're anthropologists. So let's read one more little section and then we'll move on here. I just think this is fascinating. If you look through Matthew 8 and 9, every single one of these encounters happens when people are on the move. Jesus is on the move. And here's a crucial uh, scene that happens next. Let me just read it to you. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, now this is just after um, Jesus has gone to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. So again, he's traveling. He went to Peter's house healed his mother-in-law. Uh, this happens right after that. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he instructed his disciples to cross to the other side of the lake. So he's saying, you guys go on ahead 
and cross over. Again, we're going to go travel somewhere. He's always on the move. I mean, he is constantly moving. And he tells his disciples, go across the other side of the lake, and I'm going to meet you there. And so they start to head out. And then, then one of the teachers of religious law said to him, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Kind of an it must have been a young teacher of the law. Like <laughs> that, it strikes me as a young person would say in the moment, I'll go wherever you want to go, kind of in a, in a moment of passion. And Jesus says to him, he kind of gives him a reality check. He says, well, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. So it's funny that we're talking about this, Becky, and then we hear Jesus saying, I don't even know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't have any permanent place. Um, and, it's, and when you talk about loneliness, that's another kind of loneliness when you don't have a, you don't have a kind of a, a default setting in your life, a place that you kind of come back to that's like the center of your orbit. Your orbit now is what is it? Who, what becomes the center of your orbit when you don't have a fixed home? Um, and Jesus is saying, I've on purpose chosen not to have a fixed home. <laughs> I've on purpose chosen not to know where I'm going to sleep tonight. I've on purpose um, chosen to disrupt my life in this way. And in part, it's because um, this is going to sound funny, but Jesus also lives a dependent life. His life is, is ultimately in 24 seven in a dependent relationship with his father. And that's why he's always going away to pray. He's always going away to have a conversation with his father. And we get indications throughout the new Testament that sometimes these one-on-ones that he has with his father take a long time, like a whole day where he's just spent. And when people read Jesus went away to pray, they think, Oh, he went away to, to talk in a different kind of voice and ask for a list of needs but actually went away to have a one-on-one conversation. And I'm guessing because of the loneliness that you've described, the number of one-on-one conversations you've had with Jesus has gone way, way up. Yeah. And like how, basically all day. <laughs> <laughs> because it leverages that. And mm-hmm. there's something about that, that though it's difficult, I mean, obviously your difficulties have leveraged to that. But the outcome of it is beautiful. Uh, I remember times in my life, I was just telling somebody the other day about a time in my life when I was desperate for Jesus to come into my challenging situation, and I needed him all the time. And I look back at that, and I think, I really hated that leverage that was in my life. But boy, did I love that I had to be in constant communication with Jesus. It really changed the trajectory of my life. So these things that, that we're discovering here about Jesus, that he's actually chosen himself to live on the road and chosen the disruption and the leverage of that kind of life, it's important for us to embrace that, that Jesus lived his life this way for a reason. And he's kind of inviting us to live this life as well, whether or not we are physically on the road. So I thought it'd be good for us to, to talk about some aspects of road life, Becky, that might Uh, in just a bit lead us to make some connections to everyday life for everybody else. You've already mentioned that your life on the road kind of immerses you in, into a a reality that is upending for you. And, and you've said that this life has forced you into a lot of uncomfortable places. 
you mentioned that that uh, it's forced you into dependence in a lot of ways, uh, and you mentioned a couple of ways that has done it, and you've mentioned that being on the road is kind of a lonely experience as well. What are some other aspects that you have noticed that have popped into uh, into your reality that have been true of what life on the road is like? Like if you had to explain, here's some of the things you can expect if you if you go out on the road besides a, a dependent life and, a, and the, the dealing with the loneliness, what are some other things that, that become part of your reality? So one of the things that's really hard to do when you live this way is to be a super planned person. And you guys all know that I'm a super planned person, right? I'm the kind of person that you throw a project at because I'll put together a plan and I'll get it done. But this kind of way of living makes it really hard for plans to work out and you have to just be really flexible. And I honestly, I read a ton about living like this and they, they all said that they said, don't be a super planner because your, your whole plan will get upended. And I fought that because I didn't, I was like, I'll, I, I'm better than that. I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, and what happened is every time I try to be super planned in this adventure, it's been kind of hectic. And I, I just have felt like the spirit has been like, Hey, I told you to go, but that's all I said. And I didn't give you this plan that you put together. So let's just slow down and just say, this is going to go as long as it's going to go. It's going to, you're going to go wherever you feel like the next step is. And it doesn't have to be like, well, I said I was going to go here next. And at this time, so I'm just trying to be more open to paying attention to places that draw me in and places that make me feel like I'm welcome and experiences that are, are positive and good for my soul. And so that may be that I stay in certain places longer than I thought. It may mean that I move on in a place quicker than I thought, but I really feel that a strong leading towards giving up that plan and just giving more freedom into letting go into this lifestyle. Yeah. You know, in the, the Jesus centered life, there's a whole chapter in there called needing him to know him. And it's kind of a funny phrase, but you just described what that is because when we really need him is when we really get to know him and we, and it, and it's ironic and it kind of works against it in that we don't really want to really need him because if we're in a place where we really need him, it means that we're out of our comfort zone by definition because we're so used to relying on ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we say, in my weakness, he is strong, that just kind of flows right off our tongue. We know it's true, but dang, when you're weak, when you're really weak, it is a hard place to be. And it leverages you into a place we, we would rather not be. But what it, what it connects us to is a, a deeper kind of intimacy with Jesus. I know in my life, when I really need Jesus, I really get to see that kind of inner workings of his heart then, because I'm paying better attention to him. It just makes sense that when we need him more, we pay attention to him more, and to the nuances, to the things we overlook. We don't take him for granted. He's very present to us. All of these things are true, and um, I'm just thinking as you were talking about the, one of the interesting things if in, the, in the Gospel of John, the whole last sort of quarter of the Gospel of John 
is all about Jesus trying to prepare his disciples to live in relationship with the spirit instead of the way they had been living with him. He's basically saying, oh, my gosh, it's going to get so much better because, you, you know, I've been trying to help you understand stuff and you've really had a hard time with it. But pretty soon, my very spirit is going to come to live in you. You will be the home of the spirit and I'll, and I'll be able to help you, instruct you, um, enlighten you from the inside out. That's also a central theme that's in spiritual grit, that part of our life of uh, growing in our core strength comes from immersing ourselves in the, in the heart of Jesus through the spirit of Jesus, that he comes to live within us. And in the book, I call him the invisible rabbi instead of the Holy Spirit, because the invisible rabbi is the rabbi inside of us, helping us to understand and know the heart of Jesus inside out. And so that Jesus spends the last quarter, the gospel of John spends the last quarter of it, just letting Jesus go on and on and from different vantage points about how great this is going to be and what spirit, spirit connected living is like. And you're describing um, when you say getting outside of my plan, getting outside of my schedule, then what's left for you is being guided by the spirit. That's a totally different way of living. What's, what's something that has happened because of being guided by the spirit that has really stuck out to you? Like you, you noticed in the moment, wow, because I had to be guided by the spirit, this happened. The first month of this travel, it was like, it was like before when I was preparing to go on this journey, I was in like a protected space. And I definitely felt like that. Like I kept feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying to me, we're going to get to the morning place of this, but it's not right now. And so then I got on the road and that like season almost immediately started. There was just like, it was like a wound was like open and I was looking at it and I could see for the first time, just like how much damage had happened to it. And in addition to that, I was, you know, dealing with loneliness and also just dealing with a few different instances where I just didn't feel like people could really see me. It was like a combo of like personal relationships and work um, situations where I was struggling to be taken seriously or I was struggling to feel like I mattered to that person. And Rick and I were talking on the phone because we keep in touch. And I, he said to me, Becky, it's not hard to see you. And, it, and he just said, it takes about five minutes. And so if somebody doesn't see you, then they're not really worth your time. And I think that that was such a good, it was just like, just a good, like Holy Spirit reminder of that. I, I need to not spend so much time, like, um, kind of like jumping up and down and begging the wrong people in my life to see me. I need to just say that person didn't see me, but it's not because I'm not seeable. I have, um, to, and I just, have to pause you there just for a second too, to just add this in. If you're a essentially open, authentic person, which Becky is, <laughs> if it takes longer than five minutes to see, to experience her essence, then it means that 30 years won't do the job either. Really, that's the truth. If, you're, if you live your life in an open, authentic, and vulnerable way, and somebody is always missing you, 
you know, kind of misinterpreting what you say, not getting what really drives you, um, not really understanding why you say the things you say or make the choices you do. It doesn't mean that more time, just more time with that person is going to unlock you to them. The truth is, when we experience open, vulnerable, authentic people, it takes about five minutes to get a sense of that person. And, and, you, and you have a kind of a foundational understanding of them then to, to move forward in. And if a person has a hard time with that, then it's not your problem, it's their problem. And it's not a problem you can likely fix in them. So when I say move on, it's not like move on and judge the person, it's move on, there's really nothing you can do to overcome that in that person. They're just gonna have a hard time getting you. And it's, what's true is too that, that this isn't true just with you, Becky, that it's true with all of us that, yes. that people treat us like we're really hard to see sometimes. And I, I just think that's because people are not paying very good attention. It isn't because we're hard to see, it's because people aren't paying attention. So we often kind of own that ourselves. Oh, that must be really difficult to understand. I must be kind of, you know, difficult to, to perceive or, and it's really not that usually. And I'm always telling my wife when she has a difficult encounter with someone, hey, Bev, you're really not that hard to see. If that person's struggling, then that's really their issue. It's not, not really your issue. So if that's you, listener, if that's like been a pattern repeatedly for you, I just want you to take a second and like check in with the Holy Spirit because I think he wants to tell you like, I see you. And so you don't have to go on the road to figure that out. You just have to believe that about yourself. But there's something about this environment that kind of throws you into basically every insecurity you could possibly have. So. <laughs> You know, there's, so. there's two things that pop up for me here that I want to mention. One it d- comes directly out of this. Jesus said this kind of curious thing, and we did a whole podcast on this, I think, back, you know, a year or so ago. But Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yep. And people sometimes misread what he's really saying there. He's only saying, don't take what is a treasure to you and put it in front of someone who can't understand what that treasure is. Don't do it. So when you say, you said, you've said something to me a couple of times, Becky, when we've been talking on the phone that I think is really sticks out to me and it's been profound for me to just think about it. You've said in a very vulnerable way in this phase of my life, I want to gravitate to people who want me. Mm-hmm. And that, that is such a vulnerable childlike thing to say. It's almost it's almost like the kind of thing you say that you think inside and you think I better not say that out loud because that sounds like something I shouldn't say, but it's so beautiful that you've said that I'm gravitating to people who actually want me. Mm-hmm. That is a beautiful thing. And that isn't just about living life on the road. That's something that is true for all of us. Would we have the courage to say, I want in this season of my life to gravitate toward people who actually want me. That is living out what Jesus said. When he said, don't cast your pearls before swine, he's essentially saying, don't haul out your treasure with people who can't appreciate what a treasure that is. Don't do it. Move on. Jesus does that himself. He moves on. When Mm -hmm. people don't get his treasure, he doesn't stay there and try to convince them of his treasure. 
he just moves on until he finds people who do see it. And those end up becoming his disciples, his followers, his world changers. The people that got who Jesus was wanted to be around him all the time. And the people who didn't get what he was, he just left behind. <laughs> he didn't try to convince him. You can think about the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what else do I have to do to gain eternal life? And, and, uh, and Jesus gave him a list and the guy said, I've already done that. And Jesus said, go sell everything you have and follow me. And he, and he went away. What Jesus doesn't do, and it says he loved that man, what he doesn't do is he doesn't chase after him. He doesn't say, oh, you don't understand my heart. Come back. Let me explain it to you. He just lets the guy go. He lets him move on. That this is a brave thing to do. It's a brave way of living. And it strikes me as really profound that this is kind of marking this season of your life. And I, I embrace it. So, you know, one of the things that I was curious about is along in, in, the, in the context of this adventure, what's something unexpected, what, maybe an unexpected fruit in your relationship with Jesus that you really didn't see coming, but has kind of presented itself in your life on the road? What, what, what's something that's cropped up as a fruit that you weren't expecting? So I'm pretty hard on myself. I think most women actually are pretty hard on themselves. Um, so we, we constantly kind of speak uh, to ourselves in a certain way. And we're always like kind of, oh, you could have done better. Or if you just could be more disciplined or if you could blah, 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 you know, insert all of the things that we tell ourselves. But you can't really be that hard on yourself because this is a very gentle way of living. You you just have to let things ride, you know? And so as a result, I'm learning to speak to myself in more, in a more gentle way, or at least to recognize when I start to say, when I'm not being gentle with myself, that, that I rewrite what I say, like, well, of course you, um, didn't get this done because all of these things happened and because you have no other option, you had to deal with them, you know, like when your dog is, you know, sick and you have to take him to the vet and that means that you spent half the day there and then you didn't get some work done. That is just the way it goes. There was no one else to do it. I can't leave them at the house. So <laughs> I have to just be gentle with this way of living. And, and it, it just requires just kind of letting things ride. Like, well, maybe you didn't get to camp on time and you didn't make dinner. So you just drove through and got something. I mean, these are just, it's just a very flexible way of living. What's interesting about that is that what I, you know, what I hear in your story too, is the, the more dependent we are on Jesus, the more we lean toward him instead of simply going with our default setting, our default strength, we we're aware of our need and we lean into him because of it, and we become more dependent because of it, we discover, and some of, for some of you listening right now, this is going to be a shock to you, but Jesus is incredibly tender and gentle. That is an aspect of him that, you know, we talk a lot about in, in Spiritual Grit, the whole book is about how Jesus is, is working to produce greater strength in us, and sometimes that can feel very hard. But I love what Peter Kreeft, how he describes Jesus. He calls him a shocking wonder. But he's shocking not just in 
the kind of hard places sometimes he takes us to for the sake of our growth, but he's also shocking in his tenderness. Like when you think about the woman, the notorious woman who breaks into the party that she's not supposed to be at and pours expensive perfume on his feet and cries over his feet and washes her, his feet with her hair. Jesus responds with incredible, actually almost offensive tenderness to her because those religious leaders at that gathering had never seen another rabbi, another religious leader respond to a notorious woman with that kind of gentle tenderness. It was shocking. It probably was talked about for years. What happened at that social gathering was so shocking, but the shocking part was not how hard he was with her. It was how tender he was with her. And when you're, when you're quote unquote on the road with Jesus and sort of driven toward a greater dependency on him, you learn that he's a lot gentler than we were led to believe. And when Jesus is gentle with us, then we get sort of a byproduct permission to be gentle with ourselves. If he can be gentle with me, then maybe I can be gentle with me. I love how you talked about the kind of the common interior narrative. And you said w women are a lot like this. Probably what's true is that women are a lot more honest about mm -hmm. it. Men are also brutal on themselves inside. They're just not very honest about it. They don't talk about it because it feels too vulnerable to say it. But men and women have a notoriously difficult relationship with themselves internally, and they're not very gentle with themselves typically. We're skeptical of being gentle with ourselves. We kind of think, you know, I'm not to be trusted. I need a, I need a good regulator on me because look at what a screw up I am. I need somebody to really be tough with me. So I'm going to be tough with me. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? Um, I see you. I understand your frame. One of my prayers when I'm really under the gun and I feel so weak is I'll often say something to Jesus like, Jesus, remember my frame. Remember my frame. Remember how truly frail I am at the core of myself. Don't, don't forget that. Now, I'm not saying it because I think he forgot it. I'm saying it to get it out in the open in my relationship with him, that this is where I'm at right now. Please remember my frailty. And <clears throat> Jesus responds with, with, with shocking tenderness in those, in those situations. At least his tenderness is revealed to us in those situations. And I know a lot of this comes out of your own story, that the part of the healing that you need to have now in your life, in this season in your life, Becky, is, is to become reacquainted with what a treasure you are. Because you were in a place where you weren't treated as a treasure and the mirrors that surrounded you were trying to re-identify you as someone you're not. And so part of this is, is a path toward being re-identified again. Mm -hmm. And you've talked about some of that and I know you're early on in this journey, but, but uh, maybe uh, you could just give us a couple of examples of how you think he is re-identifying you so far. So when you're in a relationship with somebody that doesn't see you and is even like damaging who you are, um, you may not notice it right away, but there's like, there's a chipping that's happening at you. And I think at some point it starts to get easier to not expect things, right? Like to lose expectations and to just say, well, 
I can't expect this from this person. So I guess I don't expect this anymore. And what I'm seeing in myself is that I'm starting to expect things instead. I'm starting to expect to be treated a certain way. I'm starting to expect that my life can be a certain way. And every once in a while, I say yes to something that I have been saying no to for so long just because it was easier. And then I say, wow, that feels like me because I would have always said yes to that. And it's like just picking up chunks and putting them back on my body. And it's, it's like, I'm starting to feel like myself again. That's so good. So kind of to uh, move toward, uh, move toward wrapping up here. Let's, let's talk a little bit about what we, what we promised earlier on about some connections from all of these things that we've talked about uh, that you're learning of, of life on the road to um, our everyday life when we're not, you know, a hippie Jesus minstrel. Um, so, you know, how in our life can we take from the well of Jesus instead of the people in your life? That's something you, you threw out Becky, that uh, what's a way that we can drink from the well of Jesus instead of, our own well or the wells of others around us. It's not like those things are bad, but what Jesus is inviting us to, just like he invited the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well outside the walls of Sychar, that she wanted him to dip his buck, dip, dip a bucket in the well and give her some water. And he said, I got something better than that. I have living water and you'll never be thirsty again if you drink from my water. That's really what, what, he's, what he's offering all of us. He's, he's saying, do you want to drink from the well where you're going to be thirsty again? Or are you going to drink from the well that you'll never be thirsty again? So, you know, Becky, what are some ways that you can think of kind of in a pragmatic way that this actually happens in our everyday life where we drink from the well Jesus is offering us instead of the well we know? Well, I don't want to sound basic or anything, but get your butt out of bed and spend some time with God in the morning. Um, <laughs> You know, you don't have to quit your job and go on the road, but we make it so difficult just to find time to spend with Jesus. And we make a lot of excuses about it. And it's, it is hard. I, I get it. I don't want to get up super early in the morning, but if you want to drink from the well, get up in the morning and drink from the well, and it will change your life if you keep doing that every day. What's interesting about that too is, and I think this is an important nuance to this is we often compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus into, oh, it's only during my quote unquote quiet time that I'm relating with Jesus. Yeah. But Becky's already talked about how she's in constant communication with Jesus throughout her whole day because she has to be. She's leveraged into that. And that is a choice we can lean our life into, by the way. We don't have to be leveraged by circumstances to be in sort of constant communication with Jesus. It sounds funny, but if you're aware of your need and what's going on inside of you, and all you do is simply invite Jesus into your interior life, the things that you're already thinking about, you invite him into those things, then you're in constant relationship with him. But what Becky's talking about here is the same, what I would describe as, as the same way as a date night with my wife. I'm relating with my wife all the time in different circumstances, but there are special times when I want my whole focus to be just on her. And those times are really rich. They're different from the everyday threaded in and out of regular life. There's some important things that happen then in my relationship with Bev too, but, but those date nights when we're just focused on each other, 
or we have coffee together and we're just focused on each other, something really important happens and something very centering happens. What I mean by that is we are recentered in our identity in those alone times with, with Jesus and our alone times with our most important people. So I have been working with a variety of different coaches at this time, just because I'm like down for whatever kind of help I can get. And um, so I was going through this like kind of detoxing, um, cleansing, and I had a coach that was walking me through it. And I was telling her, I'm really struggling with having no coffee, like I'm tired. And, you know, I really like I'm struggling with, you know, not having coffee in the morning. And she's like, well, what's your morning routine like? And I said, well, um, you know, I don't really have a great one. She's like, well, I get up. Um, first thing I do is drink a glass of water. And then I do 100 jumping jacks and 50 squats and 50 push-ups and 50 sit-ups. She's like, why don't you try that? <laughs> you, won't need you won't need coffee in the morning. And you won't have any problems with energy for the whole day. And I think that's what this is. I was like, you know what? You're right. And I, I started doing that and I don't need coffee. Wow. So you don't need, like if you're having, if you're struggling, like, oh, I've got all this stuff and there's all this drama. Guess what? Get up and drink from the well. And you're going to start to see that, that you're fine, you know? So, um, I love that. And you mentioned too, um, the other thing that you threw out there was how, how in your life can you put yourself in a more physically dependent state? What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, what, what, is it, what does it look like in our uh, independent American culture to have to need things from people? What if instead of driving to the grocery store when you were short on something, you did go ask your neighbor for it? We don't really do that anymore. I mean, I remember my mom like sometimes going and asking for a cup of sugar or something, but I don't think we do stuff like that anymore. And part of that is just like practicing a posture where we're dependent on other people um, and we have to rely on them providing for us in order for us to get what we need. And I think that we sometimes go out of our way to avoid any kind of situation where we might have to ask someone else for help. That's so good. And you know, that, that also there's a direct tie here to also, when, when I say leaning into Jesus in a more dependent way, one way to do that is to constantly ask him for help. When you are in a place where you feel in need for whatever it is, and you're yeah. used to dipping your bucket in your own well of strength, you simply say instead in a childlike way, Jesus, I need help. Will you help me? Jesus, by the way, absolutely loves this question. Will you help me? You know, it's the question the centurion asked him. Will you help me? It's the question the leper asked him. Will you help me? Jesus responds to will you help me? as if it's an act of faith to ask him that, because that's what it is. He loves that question because it says, I need you. I want to, become, I want to be attached to you. I see you for who you are. I know what you can do. I trust you to do this in my life. I'm looking to you first over myself to do this in my life. This is the kind of momentum that he really wants in our life because he knows that if we get into that kind of momentum, fruit is going to happen in our life. And that fruit is going to nurture us, but also the people around us at the same time. And that's what he's really after. When he says the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, both of those things are fruits 
from being in a greater, more deeply attached relationship with Jesus. We become to love him more deeply and the people around us get the fruits of that relationship. They get nourishment from our relationship with Jesus. So I love that, just thinking through, uh, even asking a neighbor for something you need instead of running to the grocery store to get it. What a simple shift. And if, if we thought about doing that in a lot of other ways too, where we got comfortable being in need and asking others for help in it, and, and then they in turn get more comfortable asking us for help and creating a, a kind of a dependent muscle in us that also helps us in our relationship with Jesus. So one thing I wanted to mention before we close off here, Becky Nader, you, you've started your own business and you're doing some amazing things with helping other people create their own podcast and helping them with uh, uh, their, their websites, helping them with social media, all these things. If people had a need for this and wanted to have you fill that need, how would they get in touch with you? We can put a link on our podcast page, but why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can find me at Becky Harrington, that's with the E, H-E-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N, marketing.com. Find me on social media as well. And then also I have a blog and an Instagram page where you can follow my van life. And I, I journal pretty regularly on Instagram. And then I also have a blog that I publish and that's the resilientlifeproject.com. So. And all of this, all of this goes to kind of undergird and provide a foundation for this adventure in Becky's life that, that she's really, this, this season of her life is, is not a vacation. It's a season of growth. And you, you could start a Kickstarter to fund something like this, or we could do something better than that and, and, and direct toward Becky good work to do because that's what will really be fulfilling and, and, and part of what this season of her life really means is more good work to do. So if you have some good work to do that you think Becky could help you with, Becky Harrington Marketing, is that right? Am I saying it right? Becky, Becky Harrington Marketing.com. Gotcha. And we'll put a link to that on our page. So remember, you can find out further detail, other stuff like this too, on our paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com website. My do is find our podcast section there and you got, you're going to go to season three, episode 21 to check this out. Please don't forget too, it spiritual grit was released a little less than a month ago. So if you haven't gotten a copy yet, head on over to Amazon and buy yourself a copy, read it. And then if you could post a review uh, as soon as you've read it, that would be fantastic. A great way to support um, all of the people that are behind this podcast. And, uh, Again, the podcast is called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. It's a podcast from Lifetree. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode. And, and the Becky Nader will be back on again occasionally uh, whenever we figure out it's good to do to share more about her life um, on the road. And sometimes I've asked her if she has an idea for what she thinks would be a, a really good episode based on something that's going on in her life. Uh, we're going to do that. So... You're going to be hearing from her more throughout the year. And please do, as, as the Spirit nudges you, please pray for Becky that for her physical needs, but also her relational needs, that as, as she moves along in her adventure, she makes connections and ties to new people in her life that can be like fresh water for her soul. So if you think about her, please pray in that direction. So any last words, Becky? It was great to see you guys, and I'll see you guys next time. All right. Bye. See you again next week. Bye-bye.